We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Welcome to the Lindley Evans Music Studio at the ABC in Ultimo for Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music, it's a super group. Seeker, lover, keeper with Sarah Blasco, Sally Saltman and Holly Throsby. <laughs> My God. And our panel, it's another super group. Yeah. Gene Kitts and Tommy Dean and Tahir. Yeah. And our audience... It's another super group from Tumbarumba, Mooney Mooney, Stratford upon Avon in Britain, Wollongong, Toowoomba, and Kudamundra! But before all that, here is the news from nowhere. In the wake of Margaret Fulton's death, could the authors of modern cookbooks take a good, hard look at themselves? With Fulton, the recipe was all on the one page. With Fulton, you could easily buy all the ingredients. With Fulton, the dish turned out as described. These things, much of the time, no longer true. In the modern recipe book, every dish has a mandatory 17 ingredients, many of them in such microscopic quantities that it's impossible to believe they have any impact on the final dish. For example, that chilling phrase, step seven. Stir in the teaspoon of yak's milk. (laughs) In the streets of Mossman and Wallara, on a still day, you can often hear the cry go up from a hundred cooks. Oh, where, oh, where can I source a teaspoon of yak's milk at 2pm on a Sunday afternoon? Of course, the modern cookbook author is there to help. And at some point, in either a glossary or a preface, will have made the airy observation, yak's milk should be available from any good Nepalese grocer in your area. (laughs) Yes, but what if I live in an area with only bad Nepalese grocers? What if the yaks are all on strike? What if a sudden heat wave has caused all the yaks' milk to curdle? Again, the modern cookbook author is there with an answer. If yaks' milk is not available, cow's milk may be used as a substitute. (laughs) An admission which raises the suspicion that the whole yak's milk inclusion was an attempt to posh up a recipe he'd stolen some years before from Margaret Fulton. (laughs) And so the home cook adds a slurp of cow's milk, which merrily delays but does not avoid the next horror, the horror I call Sea Page 136. Now, stay with me. Here you are, halfway through the recipe, with the neighbourhood friends due at 7pm. Plenty of time to get the main course in the oven. Only 13 steps to go, using 27 ingredients. When you reach step 8, add one tablespoon of homemade Szechuan spice mix. See page 136. (laughs) Upon turning to a page 136, you then find another whole recipe, far more complex than the one you were cooking, containing several ingredients not available at Colesworth, plus the use of an electric spice grinder. At this point, you may wish to cut corners, given that you've just encountered a totally new sub-recipe within the recipe with only four hours to go. 
but the cookbook writer knows you too well and is there with the preventative warning when making the Szechuan spice mix, make sure you use kosher salt and authentic red Szechuan peppercorns as they give quite a different flavour to the whole meal and are well <laughs> worth the effort of sourcing. Also, never use a coffee grinder to grind the spices as there may be a residual coffee flavour. <laughs> <laughs> Having dashed out and located a kosher supermarket, a Chinese spice barn and a retailer of small electrical goods, a trip involving six suburbs, ten Sydney toll roads and two parking tickets, you return home two hours later, running up the front steps two at a time, frantically familiarising yourself with the spices of Szechuan. You now have an hour and a half before the arrival of the guests, at which point the home cook will generally move on to stage nine, which is not, but should be, drink heavily. <laughs> the recipe calls for one glass of high-quality Shiraz, but since none is available, you get stuck into the usual gut rot from under the stairs, <laughs> pouring one glass into the dish and four into the chef. This does not make the rest of the recipe easy to follow. Step 10 involves a piping bag, you discover, in the absence of which you cut a hole in a bra... <laughs> ..preferably one which is not currently being worn... Discovering that actually that works pretty well. You judge yourself a genius and make a mental note to buy a replacement bra for the person whose bra you borrowed, perhaps offering them praise for possessing a cup size so perfectly suited to the recipe in hand. <laughs> Step 11, encountered with an hour to go, advises, now refrigerate the pastry for 24 hours. <laughs> An instruction which would leave less creative chefs floundering, but which you, given your success with the bra piping innovation, leads you to suspect that 20 minutes in the freezer would serve just as well, especially if you heap some ice on top. Step 12. Suggests adding more wine if things are drying out, which, given this is a perfect description of the chef, results in you finishing the bottle and opening another. Swaying slightly. With 15 minutes before the arrival of the guests, you reach the bottom of the page with a sigh of relief. It's a short-lived sigh of relief because you realise that, unlike Margaret Fulton, the recipe continues over the page, causing you to turn said page and begin reading. Step 13. Dig a pit in the backyard and start preparing your hungy. <laughs> I think it's better if we all stick to the Fulton, don't you? Yes, that's the news from nowhere. Uh, we have Gene Kitson, Tommy uh, Dean and Tahir. Hello. hello. You know, it's, um, I find it fascinating. You know, I'm a, I'm a man of the kitchen. Of course. Uh, and I've, I've never... Step one of every recipe should say, read the entire recipe first. Hmm. <laughs> if you were a male... Then go Read back. the recipe first. Uh, secondly, um, and I don't know exactly the definition, but uh, a lot of people get thrown by kosher salt. I don't think kosher salt is kosher in the classic sense. Uh -huh. uh, it refers more to a grain size. Uh -huh. So when anything refers to kosher salt, it's just bigger salt. Um, use half the amount. So most people that replace kosher salt measurements with table salt find the dish twice as salty because the grain is twice as small. TJF, not funny, but yeah. educational. <laughs> My point is, you could have stayed out of the temple and just cooked <laughs> quietly. Cooked with... Can I... Oh, the secret to yak's yeah. milk is to keep the powdered stuff in the counter. <laughs> or, or, or in a, you know, you've got a big backyard, just a yak. They tend to dig their own hungy pit. <laughs> Works out quite nicely. L let me check that you are 
up with this week's news. Who had a ton of fun twice in order to be forgiven? A ton of yes, fun. Yes, this is a story of Stephen Smith, who, uh, upon return to Test cricket, scored two centuries, mm. one in each innings, helping us to a magnificent victory over the uh, English. Sorry, there's a, there's a kid here from... Uh, <laughs> Don't cry, don't young man, don't, don't cry. Won. Oh, my God, Australians are so nice. We won, one nil, sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, we're all up in arms when, uh, when he cheated. Uh, actually, Smith, Steve Smith didn't do it. He was, his crime was that he was a captain and once he heard about it, his response was, I don't want to know about it, which is the exact response many relationships have broken up about. Right? Oh, the sink is full of dishes. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> Gone, right? Um, but once he scored two centuries... We won the game. Australian, we love our sport. We're like, ah, well, he served his time. All's forgiven, right? Uh, Warner and Bancroft, well, no. They haven't scored any centuries yet. (laughs) Until they do. And the cheating's been going on for years as well. And the English have been using lollies and other things. There's creams and all sorts of stuff. To affect the ball. To affect the ball, Uh, yeah. And the players, they rubbed on their calves. (laughs) Our problem was like, was like Cameron Bancroft had the sandpaper and he tried to hide in his crotch with 100 cameras looking at him. That was so obvious. That was his mistake, right? So we're just not that good. That's our, that was our <laughs> issue. With English is a lot smarter in that sort of respect. Well, I was disappointed. This is going back in time. But I was disappointed at the time that he didn't explain that he had some sort of, you know, athletes uh, quite often uh, get uh, what's called jock itch. Yeah. So he could have just suggested the sandpaper was to really aid the scratching <laughs> of his nether regions because it was quite a rampant rash. <laughs> Because he didn't want to cheat using those English creams. Uh, <laughs> it's when he got the electric sander out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the angle grinder was a bit much. Well, his problem was he first denied it. That was, his, that was most of the problem. Because well, jock itch is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to admit to jock itch. He'd rather say he was tampering with the other ball. Well, let's ask He was willing to take a year off. Let's ask the 18 year old kid have you ever had jock itch? What, what do you do for jock <laughs> What? He's 18, for God's sake. Come on. Leave him He's alone. He has come from Stratford-upon-Avon, <laughs> the home of Shakespeare, and you're but asking him to... Oh, no, I'm, right. I'm Tommy's ID. old jockitch. <laughs> Thou like, jockitchest. I love Tommy's To theory. scratch might... or not to scratch. <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. Out damn jockitch. <laughs> Out damn itch. <laughs> The listeners at home, he is smiling and laughing, just to let you know. Yeah, yeah. We, he hasn't been fully humiliated yet, but it will happen. I'm sorry about that. So, I mean, I suppose the question we have to ask now is, that, you know, now he's a hero again. Um, should, he, um, should he be captain again? Hmm? Which I think is probably a big yes, because that South, just to carry on from what you were saying hmm. to here, is that that South um, African captain was pinged for ball tampering. And he got fined and promoted. Hmm? So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, what yeah. are we doing? Well, so what's going on? You know, and we shouldn't pretend that cricket is a different sort of sport to every other sport. You know, every sport does these w- tricky things. I mean, you know, like, I, I, look, I mean, it's just not an old, you know, they treat it like this old-fashioned sport, like, you know, harking back to the days of rah-rah, jolly good you know, penny farthings doing the Tour de France. That's, <laughs> that's past. We've passed that now. We're into drugs. We're into underarms. We're into slowing the ball down in an AFL match. You know, you can do all that and it's fun, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it's yeah, fun. She's, a very, she's a very forgiving woman. Uh, now, who has, been, who has been having the best of times and the worst of times this week? Well, this is... 
Well, you could call it a story. I don't know. The Times is a paper, right? The Times is the, a the New York Times. The New York, New York Times. Times. The paper. Well, yeah, it's the paper. And oh my God, what they had to do is they had to admit that one solitary statement that Trump made, they forgot to criticise. <laughs> they just let it slip through without going, "You're an idiot," and everybody flipped, and then they backflipped, and then they. So they had a headline which says, "Trump urges unity versus racism." Yes. And they thought that, and critics thought that promoting Trump as a sort of enemy of racism might be a bit much. Oh, prom- they just don't like promoting Trump in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. We're talk- the whole story is actually about guns, you know. Yeah. It's about the, what happens. Like in America, correct me if I'm wrong. I will. But in America, <laughs> there are more guns than people. Uh, but that's because in the Constitution, that's what it says. Yes, you must have. <laughs> yeah. It says right in the preamble to the Constitution, we the people. And all of our guns. And even in order in to make a more perfect union with the guns. And then it goes on like that for a while. Yes. And then most of, those, many... most of those 400 million guns are owned by Tommy's father. Yeah. <laughs> it's right in our national anthem. What's the most exciting part of the anthem? When we shoot off a bunch of cannons. And each gun has one vote. Well, it has, yes, exactly. So that's exactly right, Tahir. So that's the point I was making. The point is that they, you know, the Americans don't sneak out at night with a spray can of paint you know, and spray hate on walls. They use assault weapons. And the point is that no politician, no politician anywhere in the USA is going to ban those weapons, not from either party, no president, no vice president, unless they sincerely believe they should not be re-elected ever. <laughs> because that is what, well, what, what about what about Trump? What about Trump this week saying, I am the least racist yeah, person anywhere in the world? I love it. <laughs> Uh, I, just, I, I believe I believe he believes it. Uh, I believe most racists believe they're not racist. Uh, I believe that they believe that they uh, just are stating the facts. Uh, so it's not racist. From Trump says that all the people coming over from Mexico are criminals and rapists. Uh, that's just a fact. <laughs> that's not racist. That's factualism. And that's why it gets out of hand. There, it's almost impossible to have the debate uh, because they all see it. It's just the way it is. I, I just, they don't see I, I themselves as coloured against it. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's really quite creepy that they don't say... In fact, though, Nazim Hussein uh, did a brilliant joke a few years back uh, where they were, he was uh, trying to make... He's done many, <laughs> but he was trying to make the joke of what can, what's an insulting word. So if the N-word uh, deeply insults uh, the African-American community, mm. what is a word that insults the white community? And you went through a series of choices, you know, cracker, uh, whitey, and none of it offended you know, The word that offended him the most? <laughs> racist. Yeah. That was a word yeah, yeah. that triggered him. Yeah. Because oh. I think they all know, secretly, they are. I, I just love uh, when we talk about Donald Trump and racism together. Like, those, those two things that don't seem to be mixed. Uh, with Trump, he doesn't get sarcasm. So, like, he goes, we need to unite against racism and together we can kick out all the Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he should just come out and openly admit it and just go, go into some old comedy lines. You should never play Uno with the Mexicans. Why? Because they always get the green cards. But, um, <laughs> anyone who says they're the least racist person in the world, that's a clue in itself, right? That's a clue. It reminds you of people, because I've done shows on racism, comedy shows as well, um, when people say, I'm not a racist, but... Then they say the most racist thing ever, right? Just because, like you said, the first thing, I, I don't mean to be racist, but what about those immigrants who come to Australia and who, who come here and take all of our jobs, like, the, you know, jobs like collecting trolleys? Hmm? <laughs> what about some of the Australian kids who may have dreamt of a career in trolley collecting? Where are their opportunities? Gone! Yeah, this also... 
You know, it also makes me laugh when I see when I when immigrants um, say things with an accent, like you know, I bloody this country got the rubbish because of the boat people." Yeah, what about you, mate? I bloody come here by plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with us Australians. We don't mind you coming here, but we have problems with certain modes of transport. Right? <laughs> And the boat is something we hate. We don't like you when you come here by boat, especially the big ones like the P&O, right? <laughs> <laughs> Government sources here in Australia estimate there are about 60,000 illegal immigrants in Australia, 60,000. Uh, Aboriginal sources estimate they figure to be around 25 million. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. With Richard Glover. We have Gene Kitson, Tommy Dean, and Tahir this week. Coming up, seeker, lover, keeper, Sarah Blasco, Sally Sullivan, and Holly Throsby will be singing for us live. Uh, first, though, this uh, question from this week's news which, which Polly wants a cracker and wants it now? This is awesome. This is, uh, <laughs> it is. I wish they still existed. Me too. Uh, this is a story about a New Zealand uh, bird, an ancient bird that was discovered, uh, which was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 200 feet tall. <laughs> a slight exaggeration, but it, tall. It was huge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just love the idea, uh, as, a, as a parrot, uh, as an as a ancient... Uh, what's the word I want? Parrot. Parrot, but I was like, trying to think of like an ancestor of the parrot. Uh, that no, it was a parrot. Bird. And they found the drumsticks. Avian. And they measured the drumsticks. And they've inferred the, the weight and the height of the bird from the drumsticks. Well, you, you know, that was, that, they, there was a lot of serious math in that. But I was surprised they didn't just use the size of the KFC bucket they were in. <laughs> you would be surprised the size of the servers back in the day. You'd be like, what? It, it was huge. <laughs> like you couldn't wear it on your hat. I mean, wear it on your head like a hat at the cricket. Put the whole family in there and sneak in. <laughs> But it was amazing. But imagine that, that tall and being able to talk. Mm. That would have, I think Captain Cook would have had some things. <laughs> it was a slightly different approach. Yeah. It did live 19 million years ago. Yeah. It, it doesn't yeah, well, I'm surprise saying, me. I'm just saying if Captain Cook had a time machine. <laughs> this story did not surprise me in, in the least because everything is bigger in New Zealand, if you've uh, taken notice. Um, so the size of some of their citizens is incredible, like just big people. And one could argue that this parrot is merely in proportion to its owner. Um, and because of their size, a lot of these Kiwis, and they, they do engage in security work, yeah. right? Like it's a country full of security guards, essentially, right? And maybe this parrot clearly was head of security. <laughs> Stopping other birds entering parties. Sorry, mate, not with those claws. You know what I mean? Um, and what, what I love about the, the Kiwis and Islands is this. They're big, aren't they? They're massive. Like, these, some of those guys are very big. They've got, like, you know, tribal tattoos, hair everywhere, and they're strong, and they can lift up a lot of heavy stuff. And, but when they talk, their voice does not match the body. <laughs> this big turn, guy turns over and goes, Sweet as cuz. <laughs> what? Where did that voice come from? <laughs> Are you saying they learned it from the parrot? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I want a cracker, bro. <laughs> yes. Just, well, they could have learned it from the kiwi. That's yeah. a bird. The bird. Yeah. That's yeah. another bird. Yeah. Didn't they? Didn't they dub this parrot Squawkzilla? Yeah. So how yes. big is it exactly? Two hundred feet. Two hundred feet, which is like a. It's a metre high. It's a metre. Yeah. <laughs> it's a metre. That's a pretty big parrot. It's a metre. That We've got bigger birds in Australia still living. But a parrot. We've got emus. We've got the deadly cassowary with its lethal spur. Oh, a parrot. The cassowary is not a metre high. 
The cassowary is a you metre think? high. I'd say so. Oh, OK. Yeah, see? See? <laughs> see? I'm going to move rapidly that... on. And now, three members of the Rebels' bikey gang are challenging laws that prevent them from visiting each other, saying the anti-association rules are anti-constitutional. The police seem to think these guys are a bad influence on each other. So, who or what has been a bad influence in your life, tempting you from the path of the straight and narrow to here? Um, Cadbury? <laughs> Shocking influence, really. I love chocolate. Um... <laughs> there's, exactly, there's exactly one line of squares too many. Yes. What, what do you mean? Like when you eat like the whole bar of it's chocolate, there's always that one extra lock of four squares that yep. you should stop. But you don't. So you finish the whole block and then you feel sick. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't even stop there. The, the thing is that the block of chocolate is open, so it should be finished. The whole block should be finished. Well, it doesn't yeah. matter where. You've got to stop. You've got to stop until it's thrown out. And I'm doing a good deed by eating because my family is not eating. If I'm eating it, mm. I'm saving my wife and kids from eating the chocolate. So in my head, I'm doing a good deed. Well, you, have to, you have to even it off. You can't even leave it. You can't leave chocolate like no. broken half squares. So and you it, break off the square, and then it breaks a little bit more of the next square. So you have right. to break that square off. <laughs> and that breaks the next square. Like, who wants jagged chocolate blocks? Exactly. And you can't just eat two rows, Tommy, and then fold it up and leave it in the cupboard because I know it's there. Mm. And we all know it's there. So but it makes that, I don't know if that's old school, but it makes when I eat chocolate bars like that, it makes the same sound as the old typewriters. Yum, 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 yum. Ding! Care if you turn. Yum, 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 yum. Ding! This story did make me laugh because I could just imagine Biker going, oh, come on, guys, it's not fair. And then the police saying, they seem to think they're a bad influence on each other. Really? Oh, what? Grown men are heavily tattooed with moustaches hanging around and drinking in a clubhouse all day with no jobs? That must be an investment group. What do you mean a bad influence? Of course they're a bad influence. Well, to be fair, it does seem a little over the eyes. We just saw a group of people who admitted to getting together and drinking heavily. (laughs) And they made an excellent song. If we let the bikies hang out and we gave them a piano, they would probably bash somebody with it. But then... But Tommy, from what I saw, Sarah... I don't think she needed the other two girls. (laughs) (laughs) Have they left? You know, you know. Yeah, what else has been a bad influence on your life? So, uh, and Netflix as well. Shocking influence. Netflix. Uh, do you remember good old days when we used to go to bed? We used to go time for, time for bed. You just go to bed, but not now. Time to go to bed. Oh, first I'll check all my emails, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and then watch an entire series on Netflix, <laughs> and then go to bed like a zombie. <laughs> What's been a bad influence on your life? Jean Kitson. Well, I have to agree with everything Tahir said. I mean, chocolate, I'm just a chocolate... I just eat any chocolate if it's there. And I've been buying a lot of chocolate from Aldi recently and that's really super rich, really delicious. And if you buy the white stuff that's not actually actually chocolate, that just makes you really sick. But anyway, and um, Netflix and all that. But the bad influence on me is definitely my parents. I think the police should have intervened years ago and stopped us hanging out together. I mean, they've been a good influence too, don't get me wrong. It's like, but it's like that, you know, that Larkin poem. Mm. They F you up your parents. They really, truly do. They don't mean to, but they do. Yeah, they don't mean to, but they do. They give you all the faults they had have and add some extra just for you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say the one that impacts me now in my life still is that I was taught by my dad, who is a mechanic and a um, petrol head and a racing car driver, he taught me to drive when I was about 11 and he taught me to drive really fast. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he would get me in the car, and unlike most parents, are going slow down, slow down, slow down. My dad was like a swimming coach. He'd go faster, faster, faster. <laughs> come on, what's holding up? Faster. But dad, I can't see over the wheel. <laughs> and then we'd get to a T intersection, and he'd go, "Your brakes don't work. Um, you, you can only use the clutch and the handbrake." And I'd be, I'd have to, I'd have to stop at a T intersection from about eighty miles an hour with just using doubling the clutch down and pulling on the handbrake, and I'd end up in the sand and the tea trees. And my dad would laugh his head off and then my mum always disapproved but then again she used to say to me Jean we've run out of milk could you just drive up to the street don't park in the main street just park behind the comfort station and get me some milk no one will notice and then when I was about 18 and went for my license the local policeman said well I know you can drive (laughs) (laughs) and very fast and then he gave me my license and then I lost it for speeding three weeks later. <laughs> Your dad is such a bad influence. He's a shocking yeah. influence. I think he had a plan. <laughs> Tell me, who was a bad influence in your life? That the... Oh, man, is it? I don't know. I feel like I lived a pure life. <laughs> no, you know, if people offered me things that I knew were bad for me, I'd say, no, not today. <laughs> say that, uh... I always do the speed limit. I sometimes do a little bit less and then talk to the people behind me in a variety of sign languages <laughs> to let them know that I feel that I'm leading them the right way yeah. and they're trying to tempt me into doing something yeah. terrible. It's kind, isn't it? In the car. Um, you know, the problem, I think the most tempting thing, the most absolute tempting thing, and even though we know fully that it is the bad choice to make, is I am very tempted by the emails in my spam filter. Because it feels like if I opened them, I would have a very exciting life. <laughs> like, I am quite shocked by how many women want me to look at them nude. <laughs> like, I, you never see them in real life, but apparently they all have an email account and they know my address. <laughs> so I, I'm so tempted just to see who they are, not to see them naked. That's not my point. I just want to know who these women are. Just in case I meet them in the street and I can say, I liked your picture. <laughs> Thank you for writing. I felt lonely myself. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, surprised at how much money people think that I'm in- deserving of. Uh, millions. Millions. Yeah. Millions. Oh, the Nigerian prince, that's the old one. Uh, that guy, I don't know, how many millions has he lost? Like, how much money is in Nigeria <laughs> that their royalty can't even find it? <laughs> And they need you to process it for them. Think of the fun you would have filling in the forms to convert Nigerian currency. I don't even know what their currency is. But I would transfer it. And imagine how happy the women would be if I gave them some of that. There are medicines it's I It's a virtuous circle, isn't it? It's a, it's a circle. And then you think, well, you know, between all the money, now I'm rich. I've got the Nigerian money. Uh, I'm surrounded by naked ladies. Uh, so now I start to have a bit of, uh, you know, body... Uh, images. Maybe I'm not up for the challenge, so to speak. Uh, but then I'm surprised at how many medicines <laughs> exist to help. Yeah. Because they know that you've got the the the, the Nigerian money yeah. and the Nigerian the, money. Yeah, the, uh, I'm surrounded by women. I got I got the magic cream uh, and, the, and the little blue bullet. Uh, I I am ready to go. Um, I'm not sure about. I have, I'm gonna have to get new pants. Well, why do you need new pants? Well, just, you know, to make room. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you need bigger pockets, is what I'm saying. Bigger oh, pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Very good. Are we ready for the wheel of death, ladies and gentlemen? God, please, please. Uh, now, uh, when our lovely audience came in here, they threw these random topics onto this chocolate wheel. Today's topics are mindfulness, bubbles, socialism, tomato, hemp, medical test, polar blast, beanies, trombone, men on pause. I don't know what that means. Flu, sailing, or nicknames. Which one fills you full of fear, Tommy Dean? Uh, bubbles. Why? They're just, they're so, they just, they just look, they're just so frail. <laughs> they're so ethereal. <laughs> they're such a reminder of our mortality in the instant. <laughs> oh, 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 round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, no one knows. Will it be the metaphysics of bubbles or will it be hemp? Hemp. Oh, hemp. Oh, the chances. Who put hemp? Okay, hemp. Right. Oh, well, if I was tempted by one thing in my life. This should be a podcast for the next hour. <laughs> well, you, you know, brought we, your chocolate along. <laughs> no, no, we speak, of course, of, you know, the greatest rope-making material of all time. I, there's nothing. I, I was in Boy Scouts. I, I know how to tie a variety of knots. Uh, I know a half hitch. I know a short shank. Uh, I know the one where you go around the rabbit's ears. I forget the name of that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I use it every day on my shoes. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was the plant that Jefferson and Washington themselves grew on the White House lawns. It was the magic weed. It was God's gift to us in all of its forms. It would solve all of our paper needs. It would solve our medicinal needs. It would solve all of our entertainment needs. It would make chocolate even more popular than it is. Financial needs. It would, it, you can make money out of it. <laughs> And shirts. And shirts. shirts. And pants. Big pants. Big pants. <laughs> and sails. Oil. Oh, the sails you could oh. put on the ships that were also made from hemp. You could make everything from it. Yeah. It's like lettuce. Did you know that if you put hemp seeds into your bread, birds will eat it? I'm sorry. Parrots, <laughs> <laughs> big ones? It's totally true. Like, really big birds. <laughs> really big birds. 200 feet tall. Come storming. You, what? You got toast with seeds? <laughs> uh, just so we're clear, birds will eat anything. They like all seeds. I don't know what it is about them that love the seed, but they're just, they just hate things to grow. That's my theory. That's my theory. I think birds just hate growing stuff. That's why they just tear tree branches down and they eat the seeds. They just, if you put grass seed in, the birds will come because they hate lawns. I don't know if it's the lawns they hate or the fact that we use mowers. Maybe it's the mowers they hate, and they're trying to cut it off at the source. Tell me, what is the... But my what, point is... What has this got to do with hemp? I had some earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Does he in, die, in ladies and gentlemen? Form. Does he die? He, he lives! He lives! He doesn't care! Can I tell you... I mean, we haven't made a big deal of it, but um, uh, part of me is loose. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, we haven't talked about it, but uh, I'm going away for a little while. Uh, so this is my last TGIF, so I was swearing. For a few, that... for a few months. Sorry? For a few months. For a few months. Yeah. i got to go away. And, uh, but, you know, it, it, it's not months. prison, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's worse. It's America. <laughs> it's worse. I know it, it feels... Because if you're going to go to America, this has been the worst week to be excited about going to America. 
Uh, and I know, I mean, I mean clearly, uh, the two tragedies uh, are top of mind as far as the danger of the country. Uh, but the part that hurt me the most at a very personal level was Australian dollar at 10-year low. <laughs> <laughs> Against the greenback. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what have I done? What have I done? Uh, but a lot of people ask. Uh, I'm going over because my son goes to school there. Uh, and I'm also going to take advantage of the time. I've always wanted to write a book. Um, and so I've decided to do a memoir about my decade sitting here at this desk. Uh, there's a very popular documentary uh, about backup singers. Yeah. Uh, called you know, 20 Feet from Stardom. Yeah. Uh, so I've decided that I'm going to write about all the fun that we have here at TGIF, and I'm going to call it Six Inches from Richard's Ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I sit every Friday. Hey, go, go, going right back here. to the... Um, the, thank, the God hemp- he, thank God it's Friday, or thank God he hasn't ha- eaten curry. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the hemp and the weed. Yeah. But uh, that's the whole point, is because Tommy, I'm going to Illinois, uh, is the state that I'll be living in. Are you, are you and uh, so a lot of people ask, when will you be back? And I just found out last week uh, that Illinois has ratified the law to make recreational marijuana legal on January 1st. Uh, so I think I'll be back in February. <laughs> <laughs> is my theory. And you'll be floating back. Well, we, shall, Tommy, we shall miss Mr. Tommy Dean. Shall we yeah, give him a round of applause? Yeah. Yeah. We will be back on Thank God Friday. Oh, I'll be back. But Tommy, but Tommy did have a reputation like uh, in, the comedy, uh, with, you know, in the comedy clubs around the country. I remember Brisbane, and I'm not sure where else in the hotel rooms or where the comedians would stay in Brisbane. He would hide bags, certain bags, in certain parts of the uh, of the premises where the comedians would stay. Mm. And Tommy would know exactly where that stash was mm. for the next. Well, the comedian. stash, so we're clear, was Cheswan peppercorns, dried <laughs> 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 yak milk. You know how you were going to leave the country? <laughs> I don't think that's... I think you're going to be arrested at yeah. the gate after. I'm going to tell Peter Dutton he's going to have him back <laughs> yeah, here next week. Him. Exactly. Uh, now, Australian scientists are studying grunting uh, this week, such as the grunts people make when playing tennis, right down to the grunting that can occur when people of my age try to get out of a chair. Um, they <laughs> want to find out whether the grunting really helps or is it just learnt behaviour? What do you imagine they will discover and how should they test out their theories? Jean Kitson. Well, speaking of tennis, I think grunts in tennis, I think they're used to distract. The opponent. Yeah, and uh-huh. disturb the opponent, especially <laughs> the women tennis players. They do that so well. They just sort of do a, 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 want and a, a grunt and a squeal, mm. which should be called a squeal. Grunt. No, it's a grill or a, or a squant. And they, or something. Did I say that? Did You're in very that dangerous from? territory. I am, I am. Very. And you don't know whether they're, you know, like, you don't know whether they're actually having an orgasm or they're just teetering on this, you know, it's very, very distracting. But the scientists say maybe they're taking in a lot of air to stabilise their uh, spine. Oh, their and, core. And, and then they have to let no, it out. No, the scientists are wrong. No, the scientists, <laughs> they not, this, not everyone does that. And you can stabilise your core with that. In fact, the expo- when you're older, you expel a grunt because... You know, it goes past your vocal cords because you want to... And you don't have to do it. You just do it because you want to indicate how much effort it is picking up that mm. thing from the floor or emptying the dishwasher and you'll probably need someone to give you a biscuit very soon. <laughs> and, and you also grunt because you expel the air out there hoping that you won't fart. <laughs> so I think a grunt is either so that you don't fart or it's, you grunt in case you... To cover a fart. <laughs> That's my theory as well. Is that yours? Because I my think... theory is people would rather hear a grunty sound than a farty sound. Exactly. Yeah. 
And I, I, that's to cover the accidental part. Uh, but I, as a little trick, because, uh, you know, as you get older, you just can't wait to find a secret place. Uh, so my secret Mustache. is uh, I will say, Hello! <laughs> And I have found uh, that, you know, it draws people's attention uh, to the hello. They're like, well, that guy's quite nice. It doesn't even occur to them that I may have just farted. So if, if you... Like, what a friendly fellow. If we, uh, if we uh, afterwards, after the show, that people might want to come and say farewell to you, if, if you say, oh, hello. Hello, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you say hello in an elevator. <laughs> That's the best part. Because people are still thinking, that guy sure is friendly. Wait a minute. Something's <laughs> I, I think I want to get off at the next floor. <laughs> Tahir, what, what should the sign of... say hello at the same time? Let's no, it's not just saying hello. It's, hello! <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, well, what, what should the scientists understand about grunting? Well, the grunting, it, it definitely helps. Um, in the toilet, it helps um, for a start. Um, the noise we make when we, we take a sip from a hot cup of tea, you, you grunt, you make a noise, it, it helps, it cools it down. That actually cools it down, right? Scientific. They can test the theory out many different ways. You jump into a cold shower. If you make no noise at all, clearly you're a lizard or an android, right? Not human. If you're in the supermarket, right, this is the best place to go. If you're a supermarket, you haven't bought that many items, and the cashier says, that'll be $124.50. Perfect time for a grunt. Huh, right? That grunt tells him at the moment that we know we're getting ripped off and you know we're getting ripped off, and the grunt just tells him that... We know, but we're going to pay anyway, right? <laughs> and th- that's a lot of language c- constructed it's theory. in one. Yeah, is that, yeah. Exactly, that's the whole point of a grunt. Like, for example, your, the, the son could have just crashed a car, right? Like, honey, our son just crashed a car. Dad's response: a simple grunt, <laughs> right? This simple grunt will discover. Like, right? the, the scientists will discover. Simple grunt says so much. He was always too young to be driving. He needed more lessons. In my time, we we're way more careful. Kids these days are way too stupid. Our son's an idiot. All that in a simple grunt. <laughs> That's right, and teenagers grunt back at you with, like, I'm not going to answer, I don't care. Yes. It's total apathy. I just, you know, it's, it's a all grunt that. is offensive, yeah. it's lazy. And you were the one who taught me to drive, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't even have to say all those words and say, huh, and yeah. they just grunt back, and that's and the, grunt, the conversation's the t- over. It also means, I wish Gene Kitson's father had taught me to drive, you know. <laughs> uh, who were the winners and losers of the week, Tahir? Uh, my winner was... Um, uh, my loser, petrol companies. Again, we're getting ripped off, and I'm sick of hearing the excuses. Uh, you know, interest rates are too high. This state, a barrel of oil is up and down. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I get sick and tired of it. I want to call them out on it. The winner, of course, I've got. To, I can't go past Margaret Fulton, who, to the best of my knowledge, rest in peace, but the best of my knowledge, paid her staff fairly. <laughs> <laughs> in full. Yeah. What was that book, The Cook and the Thief? Yeah. Gene. <laughs> uh, um, the winner is Steve Smith for making the English fieldsmen look like helpless spectators. And the losers were the Pommy spectators. Um, and it could be different. Next test, of course, we've only one game out of the test, but let's rub it in when we can. Yes, yes. Using sandpaper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very Tommy. Well, uh, the big winner this week is uh, America, clearly. Uh, it's about time that a reasonable voice came back. So I'm going back to America, so I say the big winner, USA. Do you think you'll be greeted at the airport with uh, brass bands and perhaps a speech from President Trump and the Oh, Jewish, oh yeah. He, well, you know, my brother. My brother runs the country with him. He keeps it. So I've, I've, I've already arranged for... Uh, I've, 
This US. is true. Tommy's brother is in the security detail for various whoever's various in details. power. I mean, yeah. the point is, and I don't, I don't, I, we rarely brag about it, but I'm like I'm going to fly uh, Qantas to Los Angeles Airport, and then uh, to get to Illinois, I'll be on uh, Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> you get points for that. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that's a, I upgraded. The point is... It was going to be Marine One. The point is we're looking forward to having you back when you finally come back. Yeah. Uh, please thank Gene Kitson, Tommy Jean, and Tahir. <laughs> Thanks for being part of Thank God It's Friday next week. James O'Loughlin, Subby Valentine and Jennifer Wong. Music from the Aretha Franklin songbook. Google ABC TJF to join the audience as these guys have done or subscribe to the podcast. Until then, I'm Richard Glover and thank God it's Friday! <laughs> 